You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Happy Resurrection Sunday. What a great day it is. This is an exciting day for so many reasons. One, we celebrate the, the fact that our Savior, our Lord Jesus, is risen. He is not in the tomb. He's alive. It's an exciting day in the life of our church. We are celebrating baptisms today. So after this service, we'll all go out to the back lawn and we'll celebrate baptisms together. If you uh, want to invite you to even stick around and stay with us and, and celebrate that as well. Um, and it's also the ninth anniversary of this church. We launched this church on Easter of 2012. So that's exciting for us. We love Easter and we are so glad that you're here this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Ryan read the text for us. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. This is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's an amazing text that the Apostle Paul gives us. And what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that the Apostle Paul is, um, not only is he kind of reteaching the church in Corinth, reminding them of the gospel message and of the implications of the resurrection, but he wants them to see the, the, the power of the resurrection for their everyday lives. That's really what we're after this morning, the implications of this claim of resurrection, of the resurrection of Jesus for our lives in the here and now. In other words, no matter who you are or why you came into this place, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, you're here today, you're not a believer, maybe you're not sure where you are with God, here's my hope. I hope that you would leave this place, no matter who you are, and it would be crystal clear for you why it matters and what it changes when you believe that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is alive, why it matters, what it changes. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig into the text together. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this morning that we have to gather together around your word, to gather as a church family. Lord, as Chris said earlier, it has been a challenging year for many of us and in a variety of different ways. It's been a challenging family, a year as a church family. But God, we are thankful that you have sustained us, Jesus, that you are risen and reigning and ruling, that you are holding all things together by the power of your word, that your spirit is with us and is with us this morning. And so as we open your word, as we look at the account of Christ crucified and risen for us, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would speak through me as I handle your word, that you would correct us where we need to be corrected. You would encourage us where we are weak and faint-hearted, that, Lord, you would open our eyes to see ourselves in light of your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, three things this morning, if you're taking notes. As we look at 1 Corinthians 15, I want to look first at the context. It's important that we understand the context of 1 Corinthians 15. Then we're going to look at the content. What is the main point that Paul is making, the content of 1 Corinthians 15? And then finally, the good news, the good news for you and me of 1 Corinthians 15. So let's start with the context. What is the question that the Apostle Paul is engaging? It's important for us to remember that though we believe that the Bible is written for us, right? We believe that the Bible, that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God speaks to us through his word. We believe it was written for us. It's important to remember that the Bible originally was not written to us. Right? There is an original audience or an original context of the scriptures. And so in this particular passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to a real church 
in the first century world. In other words, real Christians, like maybe you or me, who are trying to live out their faith and follow Jesus as they live their life and raise their kids and pay taxes, right? And all of these things, they're trying to follow Jesus in a real world and in a real context. Paul planted this church. He brought the gospel message to Corinth. People, as he preached, people came to faith. And then this church was established. And now he's writing back to them. And if you know much about 1 Corinthians the church in Corinth had kind of gotten messy, right? You can imagine uh, maybe a church in 2020, like, should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Like, you know, who do you vote for? Who do I vote for? All the messy stuff in the church of 2020. I wonder what Paul would say about those things, by the way. It would be interesting. Maybe he could send us a letter. Um, that would be helpful. wish he would have done that 14 months ago. It would have helped me. Um, he's addressing a lot of things that have gotten sideways in this church, a lot of messy stuff. And one of those things in particular is that these early Christians were starting to feel some pressure, even some persecution, um, about what they believed, about the essential doctrine of the resurrection. And so he addresses this in chapter 15. In fact, the idea that Christians believe of, of physical, resurrected life after death, that's what we believe, by the way, that upon the return of Christ, that all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, when Jesus returns, will be raised to physical, bodily, resurrected life for all eternity. So, in other words, you're not just going to be some disembodied soul floating around in heaven. That we will be raised with Christ. We identify with Christ. We'll be raised with him into glory for all eternity. This idea was crazy to the first century Greco-Roman world. All right? It was laughable to the enlightened or to the educated. You see, every culture and every time has their own way of thinking about death. Every culture, every time throughout all of history has kind of had to find a way to figure out how do we think about suffering and death? What do we make of it? And in the first century Greco-Roman world, the way that most of the enlightened and the educated thought about death and life after death was essentially that you know, our physical life kind of ends and then our souls slip out of our bodies into some shadowy afterlife. It was very pessimistic and dark. It wasn't very hopeful. In fact, you can even read some, uh, some ancient literature where they talk about maybe through a wound. If you died from a wound, your soul would slip out of your body through a wound or, or through your mouth and just into this shadowy kind of forever soul sleep, this dark, pessimistic view. And so these Christians who are living with the hope of the resurrection and who are sharing their faith as the church is growing and spreading throughout the first century Greco-Roman world, they're starting to get made fun of. This idea of bodily resurrected life after death seemed laughable. And so some of these, these Christians in the church at Corinth, they were beginning to feel the temptation to, to deny or to, to let go of a bit the doctrine of resurrection. Because to their friends, maybe, to their co-workers, to their culture, it seemed foolish. It seemed laughable. And so what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15 is really the question, are you going to cling to your hope in Christ's resurrection and run the risk of looking foolish to the world? Or are you going to let go of some things? Are you going to begin to loosen your grip on some essential truths in order to better fit in in society? Now, this is an important question for our day, isn't it? I mean, today in our day, we are seeing so many Christians who are letting go of essential truths and doctrines in order to better fit in into this crazy post-Christian society in which we live in. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. When we start to loosen our grip on essential truths, we also start to lose the power of those truths in our lives. 
When we start to lose sight of essential biblical truths, when they're no longer front and center in our view, we also then start to lose the power of those truths in our everyday lives. And so what the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15 is he addresses this and he essentially says, you cannot lose your grip on the resurrection. You cannot lose sight even. Not only let go of the resurrection, you can't even look away from it. You can't lose sight of the resurrection in your everyday life. It must be central to the Christian life or there is no Christian life at all. It's essentially what Paul's going to say. Even if it makes you look foolish, you can't lose sight of it. One scholar I read this week, Esau Macaulay, says this about the resurrection. He says, Christians at their best are the fools who dare to believe in God's power to call dead things to life. The Apostle Paul goes on in this chapter and he reminds us of the gospel and he's going to call us to embrace the power of the resurrection in our everyday life. What's the content of 1 Corinthians 15? Let's look back at it, looking at verses 1 through 19. How does he answer this question? What does he say, starting in verse 1? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul starts off here by using some common language that would have been used in the ancient world to legitimize a body of information that was passed along. Remember, this was before camera phones, right? So it's not like someone had a camera phone video to legitimize the resurrection of Christ. So what would happen was there would be kind of a concrete, central way in which information was passed on in order to legitimize the information. And so Apostle Paul is using this kind of language here. He's saying, remember that this information we gave you is credible and it is verified and we passed it on to you. He's saying, remember, you received it. Remember how you took your stand on it. Remember how it transformed you. Essentially, what he's saying is, draw to memory the moment of your salvation, how the Holy Spirit moved in power among you and how God saved you. Perhaps even some of you this morning, you need to remember the way in which Christ came to you and broke into your life and the message of Christ crucified for you, risen for you, how it changed you and transformed you. He's saying, call it to memory. Your faith is legit. Don't lose sight of the resurrection. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say, not only is your faith legit, how we came to you and we brought you the message, but our testimony is legit. Our testimony about the resurrection is legit. Look at verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. If you are not familiar with Paul's story, you can read about it in Acts chapter 8 and 9. His name originally was Saul, and he hated Jesus, and he hated the church. You can remember, if you know the story of Christ crucified, all of the people that were chaining, crucify him, crucify him, that wanted Jesus dead and gone because he was a threat to the religious powers 
of the day. They wanted him, they, they said he's blasphemous. He's saying he's the son of God. Despite the crowds who were following him because of his teaching, despite all of his incredible miracles, they wanted him dead and gone. He was a threat to the status quo. This would have been Saul. And now that, now that the message of Jesus, they, they put him to death. They thought they stamped him out. But this message of Jesus is spreading. People are saying they've seen him. Hundreds of people are saying, we've seen the risen Christ. He is truly the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. Believe. And this message is spreading like wildfire. And the Apostle Paul can't stand it. Uh, Saul can't stand it. So he sets out to hunt down Christians, to persecute the church. He's killing as many Christians as he can find. He's throwing them into jail. And one day he's on the road to Damascus, and the risen Jesus appears to him, blinds him, says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, imagine this. The risen Jesus meets Saul, tells him that not only are you no longer going to persecute me, but you're now going to be the tool in which I use to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's a pretty incredible story, and what Paul is saying here is that he, he appeared to not only to 500 people and not only to the other disciples and to all the apostles, but he appeared to me. I saw the risen Jesus. Our message is legit. Verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me whether then it was I or they. So we preached, and so you believed. So again, he's saying, remember. Remember how you came to Christ. Remember how you believed. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, he's getting into their question, right? Some of them are starting to lose sight of the resurrection, let go of our hope of life after death, raised with Christ. And he's saying, now, if, if Jesus is raised, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? How are, you, how are some of you trying to let go of this essential truth, let go of this incredible claim? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we, of all people, are most to be pitied. Here's what Paul is doing. Here's the point. Here's the content of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is saying, our belief in the resurrection, it isn't just some other idea. If you're a Christian here today, your belief in the resurrection isn't just some cute idea. It isn't some fairy tale hope. It isn't just one of many ways to try and explain things. What Paul is saying is he's saying, it happened. It happened. A man, Jesus of Nazareth, who history will not deny, went into a tomb. He was put in the tomb of a man named Joseph of Arimathea, walked out of that tomb victorious over death. He's saying in real time, in real human history, God did this, and he did this for you. What he's saying is he's saying you cannot be casual about the resurrection of Jesus. He says Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, 
He's saying all of the Old Testament scriptures, all of the prophets, all of it was pointing us to Jesus coming and dying and raising. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin against God and are cast out of the garden, God begins to whisper the name Jesus. Genesis 3.15, it says, The seed of the woman, the son of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. God begins to whisper the name Jesus from the very beginning, that in this son, the son of God, he would crush sin and death and evil, the power of Satan. Christ died in accordance with the scripture. It really happened. He says he was buried in a real tomb. History will not deny the fact that Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate and was dead and was put in the ground. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Just as he said he would be raised, he was raised. Hundreds of people saw him. Thousands of people came to believe him. He goes on, he says, we've given our lives to this message. We are suffering and dying for this message. Why? Because it happened. We saw him. He was raised. You cannot be casual about the resurrection, Paul is saying. Either Jesus is who he says he is, and he's done what he says he's done, or he is an absolute lunatic. It's one or the other. And Paul goes as far to say, he, he, if he's a lunatic, then we are even more crazy than he is because we've given our lives for this message. Paul says we are to be pitied if Christ isn't raised. He says you are still dead in your sins if Christ isn't raised. There is no hope for those who have died if Christ isn't raised. In fact, he essentially goes on to say YOLO if Christ isn't raised. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. He essentially goes on and says, if Christ isn't raised, we might as well eat and drink for tomorrow we die. YOLO, if Christ isn't raised. What's the point if Christ isn't raised? Paul wants us to see that we cannot be casual about the resurrection of Jesus. Hear me, church. The resurrection of Jesus either changes nothing or it changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus is either nothing or it is everything. It must be central in our lives if we call Christ our Lord. We cannot lose sight of the resurrection. You see, if we care more about fitting in with the world around us, if we make the mistake of, of, of giving our lives and living for the things of this world, making those things ultimate or central in our lives, what begins to happen is we start to lose the power of the resurrection in our lives. It's either everything or it's nothing. And if we start to kind of take the resurrection of Jesus and we set it on the shelf, it's you know, maybe something cool, some good idea to maybe use later when I need it, when I die, but it's not really that important for my here and my now, we start to lose the power of the resurrection of Christ in us, the hope of glory, the risen and reigning king of all creation. It's either everything or it's nothing. And here's what I want to do. If it is everything, which it is, if it is everything, what does that look like for us? What does it look like for you and me as we live our everyday life, as we live our lives and work our jobs and raise our kids and pay our taxes? What does it look like for the resurrection of Jesus to be everything? Well, two things. One, it shows up in our darkest day. It's going to show up in our darkest day. Two, it's going to show up in our everyday going to show up in our everyday. It's going to show up in our darkest day. 
The resurrection of Jesus provides for us real hope in the face of suffering and death. Um, How many of you have experienced in your life some kind of suffering or setback or tragedy or hardship? Just raise your hand. How many of you in your life? Some kind of suffering, setback, hardship, tragedy? Yeah, every one of us, right? Every one of us. Eugene Peterson says to be human is to be in trouble. Every one of us. Why? Well, because we live in a world of sin and death. We live in a world of sin and death. I don't have to convince you that our world is broken. I don't have to convince you that our world is not what it is supposed to be. If anything, the last 14 months should have done that for you, convinced you that our world is broken. It's almost as like in 2019, we were watching the sin and brokenness of our world in HD, and then 2020 came around and we upgraded to a 4K TV. And it's like we just got to see it, like crystal clarity, like better than we've ever seen it, that we live in a world of sin and death. We've, we've seen a pandemic set in on our world. We see that creation is broken. We watch natural disaster after natural disaster, uh, and just in our country, hurricane after hurricane come up the gulf. We saw division. We saw hatred. We saw families pulled apart over politics and politicians. We saw churches divided over those things. We saw racial tension and strife and hurt and pain and anger get turned up and turned up in this last year. Even recently, we've got people uh, storming our capital and trying to take down people in our government. I don't have to convince you that this world is not what it's supposed to be, that we live in a world of sin and death, that we have problems, that to be human is to be in trouble. I don't have to convince you of that. And here's the good news of the gospel. Here's why the Bible is such an incredible gift to us. You know, the gospel, the Bible, it is a story of God coming into this mess, saving us, redeeming us, offering us salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ becoming the curse of sin and death for us. Christ suffering in our stead. Jesus dying the death that we deserve. Why? What Paul says in Ephesians 1.10, so that in him, in Jesus, God is reconciling or redeeming all things, things in heaven and things on earth. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, it's like the down payment of this promise that God is going to redeem us and redeem this broken world, that God has defeated sin, death, and Satan. The resurrection, it's like a down payment. Looking at Jesus raised, we see that, hey, he did it, and we can be sure that he's going to bring it in full because he raised Christ. One scholar said it this way. He says, the dawn of Easter morning, it's like a light, of, uh, it's like light a beacon of hope against a seemingly invincible dark night of sin and death. In other words, he's saying the resurrection of Jesus is like a spotlight of hope that is shown into the dark world that we live in that is torn apart by sin and Satan and death. You know, we have an enemy, the Bible says, is prowling around like a roaring lion. I mean, haven't we seen that? Don't you experience that? Trying to tear people apart and marriages apart and our world apart. Well, Jesus Christ has come to bring reconciliation in our lives, in our relationships, in our world. It's in the resurrection of Jesus that we are given a promise that God will indeed bring life out of death and hope out of suffering. And I want to ask you, I just want to ask you, how do you respond in your life when you experience the brokenness in our world? How, how do you respond in your life when you experience suffering and hardships or when you are faced with the reality of death? You see, the resurrection of Jesus, it brings real hope into our darkest days. I want to ask you that question of how you respond because in our current culture, 
in our current culture, we don't really like to think about suffering and death and sin. We don't like, I said earlier, every culture has their own way of making sense of suffering and death. Here's, here's our way in Western American culture. Here's our way of trying to make sin, a sense of brokenness, suffering, and death. We try and just avoid it. <laughs> we just try and avoid it. We try and escape it. We try not to think much about it. In fact, think about how you feel when you have to go to a funeral. Think about how you feel. Usually you're just trying to get in and get out. <laughs> I don't want to think about it too much. I don't want to be sobered up to my own mortality too much. So think about how you feel when you walk by the casket. You, know? you don't want to linger too long, do you? Because it's a reminder that there's a dead body without a soul. We, we try and avoid it and escape it. Think about how you feel when you see the latest news story of something crazy and broken and sad happening in our world. We just want to, you know, kind of flip the, the channel and, and go to Netflix and watch some British baking show instead. We try and avoid it. But here's the reality. Here's why we need resurrection hope in our darkest day. Because death is the most certain thing in all of our lives. It is the most certain thing. Death and taxes, right? Isn't that what they say? Death and taxes. But here's the deal. You, you, you can find a good accountant to help you with your tax burden. But what do you do? I mean, what do you do with the, the death burden? What do you do with that? What do you do with the reality of suffering and sickness and tragedy that we are all so vulnerable to? Well, like I said, mostly we try and avoid it and escape it. But we don't have to. Instead, we can see the good news of Christ resurrected on our behalf. We can see the good news of, of, of Christ's suffering in our stead so that we could be lifted up by him. We could put our faith and hope in someone other than ourselves or our faith and hope in something other than this world. We can put our faith and hope in Jesus. You see, I want you to listen to the words of Michael Byrd as he talks about the problem with our current culture. He says this, he says, The, the prospect of death shapes us. It shapes us, not just individually, but culturally as well. To do all sorts of things. The fear of death that leads us to segregate the elderly into homes, lest, we, lest their frail and dilapidated bodies remind us of our own mortality. We bar up our doors and windows. We build panic rooms. We arm ourselves to the back teeth to avoid the violent death at the hands of violent criminals. Fearing the threat of foreign powers, we drop bombs on them before they drop bombs on us. Engineers try and build safer cars and safer roads to prevent us from prematurely dying in a traffic accident. We invest huge amounts of money trying to find cures to the incurable diseases that could almost randomly strike us dead without rhyme or reason. He says, our culture of safety and paranoia is driven by one single thing, the fear of death. I mean, even just think about how so many have responded to the threat of a pandemic. I mean, just terrified of sickness and death. Now, there have been a lot of people that have responded to, to, to this pandemic out of love for neighbor, out of value and care for human life, but there have been many who have just been terrified. They don't have the hope of the resurrection. They don't have the hope that even in our darkest day of suffering and sickness and death, Christ has promised he will raise us up. Even with all the advancements that we've made in science and technology and medicine, death is unavoidable. All of our advancements in science and technology and medicine, you know what it helps us do? It helps us better understand why we get sick and die. It helps us name it, name its cause. Maybe it helps us slow it down a bit. But the only Jesus Christ has defeated it. Amen? Only Jesus Christ is their victory from it. 
is their freedom from suffering and sickness and death. Because he died and he was raised. And by grace, through faith, you can be united with him. You have been united with him if you're in Christ. This is why Paul says what he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at verses 55 through 57. I love this. He talks smack to death. This is great. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Only Jesus has defeated death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Here he goes. He talks smack. Here he goes. He says, oh, death, where is your victory? He's taunting Satan and sin and death. This is good. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In other words, he's saying the reason that there's suffering and sickness and death in the world is because of sin. And the curse of sin that is both unleashed on us and on this planet. He says, that's why it's here, but verse 57. But thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us real hope and real confidence and real power in our darkest day. It's real stuff. And boy, do we need to embrace this kind of hope and power and confidence, church. We live in a culture where people are conditioned to expect a happy and healthy life. Perhaps people are even conditioned to it. I expect to be happy and healthy. And in our world today, when sorrow strikes, when tragedy hits, when suffering sets in, when death shows up, oftentimes we don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond. Oftentimes it leads us to bitterness when people are blindsided or devastated, when that dream job never pans out, we get bitter. We doubt God. When that diagnosis comes, we, we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to do. When that person betrays you, when our perfect little children don't meet our expectations or they go wayward, we're blindsided. We don't know what to do. When we never meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, when disasters or death happens, we don't know what to do. But if we have the resurrection hope, We stand on Jesus. We are victorious in him. We endure. We grieve, not as people without hope, but we grieve as people with hope. Jesus is with us by his spirit. He heals us. He deepens our faith. You see, this is real stuff, real hope because of the resurrection of Jesus in your darkest day. We cannot lose sight of the resurrection. Not only is there hope for us, real hope in our darkest day, but there is real hope and real power for our everyday, for your everyday life. The hope of the resurrection, it is an active hope. It promises us new life and new purpose in the here and now. In other words, you could think of it this way. Your future hope is what gives shape to your present living. Did you realize that? Your future hope, kind of what you hope for in the future is what gives shape to your present living. So if your future hope is to retire and um, you know, spend a lot of time at the beach, That's going to give shape to how you live in the here and now. If your future hope, you know, you want to be a lawyer in the future, that hope to want to be a lawyer is what's going to kind of cause you to endure all of the the difficulties of law school in the here and now. If you want your child to be a superstar athlete in the future, that's going to give shape to the here and now, right? You're going to reorient your life around that future hope. It's going to be how you spend your time and your money and all of those things. Your future hope is what gives shape to your present living. And so what Paul is saying here, he's making the case that the resurrection is the greatest reality in our life. It should be our future hope, and it should give shape to our present living. It's why he says what he says in verse 58. Look at verse 58. Therefore, so in light of the fact that Christ is raised, 
and that Christ is coming again. And when Christ comes again, he's going to make all things new and he's going to raise us up into glory for all eternity. Therefore, in light of all of that, he's going to say, here's how you live in the here and now. He says, my beloved brothers, he's saying, church family, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The good news of the resurrection not only grants us hope in the future, hope in the, in the face of suffering and death, but it calls us to a new way of living in the here and now. New life, new purpose. It reorients our perspective off the things of the world and onto the things of the coming kingdom of God. Hear what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. Set your mind, your future hope, let that give shape to your life in the present. Don't, don't live for the things here and now. They're fleeting, they're fading, they're falling away. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what baptism, I'm so excited we're celebrating baptisms today. So why baptism is such a cool picture of the old you and the old way of life and you living for self. It's being buried with Christ and you're being raised up in a new way of life, to live for a new thing, to live for Jesus and the reality that he is risen and reigning and coming again, to live for his kingdom. He says in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's saying Jesus is risen, Jesus is reigning, Jesus is returning. Don't waste your life on the fragile and flimsy things of this world. Don't waste your life. New purpose, new hope, new life in the here and now, every day. He's saying leverage your life for the kingdom of God. If you've put your faith in Christ, you've been enlisted into a new work, into the family business of God, into the ministry of reconciliation. And now that doesn't mean that you have to go to seminary or that you have to become a pastor in order to live that way. That's not what he's saying at all. Maybe some of you do, but that's not what he's saying at all. Essentially, what he's saying is, is right where you are, right where God has placed you, live for Jesus. Live your life steadfast and immovable. Don't hold back. Love your neighbors. Bless your coworkers. Build up and strengthen the church. It's through the church that God is working in the world. Build up and strengthen the church. Care for the hurting. Pray for the suffering and the oppressed. Live your life right where you live and work and play because Jesus is risen and reigning and coming again. Live your ordinary, everyday life for the glory of God, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. None of it is wasted. So don't waste your life on the things of this world. New life, new purpose in the here and now. There's real stuff for you in the resurrection of Jesus. Perhaps the most simplest way that I could say the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus for you is this. To know that if Christ is central in your life, to know that you're not living a life for yourself, to know that you're not worshiping a false god or worshiping idols, to know that you're not following some revered but dead spiritual teacher, to know that you're not being tossed to and fro by the whims of culture, but to know that you are following and living for a risen Lord, a God who is alive, a God who is with us by his spirit, and a God who is coming again. This is the good news of the resurrection for you and for me. The resurrection of Jesus, it's either everything or it's nothing. 
It's either everything or it's nothing. And so as we close, I just want to ask you to consider what's central in your life right now? What is it? Something is. What's central in your life right now? What is the thing? What is the future hope that's giving shape to your present living? What's central in your life right now? Are you experiencing the power and the hope of the resurrected Jesus in your every day? Hope that gives and brings new life. I think some of you are. I know that some of you have been clinging to the hope of Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. I believe, though, that there might be others of you who have lost sight of the resurrection. And maybe it's something else that's become central in your life. And I just simply want to invite you this morning to turn to Jesus, to see him for who he is as the crucified and risen king who loves you, who gave himself for you. Just turn to him. Renew your faith in him. Make him central in your life. If you're here this morning and you don't believe the resurrection, perhaps you don't buy the claim of a God who lived and died for you. You don't buy the claim of a God who gave himself to cover your sin because he loves you. You don't buy the claim of the resurrection. You deny the facts of history of an empty tomb. Something is central in your life. There's something that you're living for. I just want to ask you, how's it working for you? How's it working? What hope does it give you in the face of suffering and death? What's it producing in your life? I want to invite you this morning, maybe even for the first time, would you turn to Jesus? Would you turn to Jesus this morning? He is alive. He is with us by his spirit. He stands ready to receive you, to extend forgiveness to you, to give you peace and hope, new life and purpose. What a savior, what a gift. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this beautiful text, 1 Corinthians 15 and the beautiful hope that it points us to. God, that you have not left us, you have not abandoned us, but you have come for us in every way, that Christ died for us in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he took our sin and our shame to the depths of the grave, that he was, that he was risen according with the scriptures, risen for us, offering us hope in our darkest day, new life and purpose in our everyday. Lord, we want to turn to you, and we want to receive what you have for us this morning. So we enter into a time of response. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way with us, that you would move in our midst. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.